Well, hello, 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 and welcome back to Gateway to Anime. And today I'm flying solo. Charlie, unfortunately, is unwell and cannot be here. However, I have a very special guest today, and I'm really excited about this, and I'm really excited to dive in to what this project is about, but I, I won't spoil what that is. But we are here with Ty Hansen, who has an Australian anime project, which is a really fascinating concept to me. And well, Ty, how are you, man? What's happening? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for asking. Uh, I mean, a lot's happening. So uh, how much time of the day do you have to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's very good. So first of all, why don't you tell us about your project? Tell tell everyone what it is you're working on and the floor is yours, my friend. <laughs> Too easy. Okay, yeah. So I'm the author slash creator slash producer, whatever you want to call me, of uh, the Millennium Exile Anime Project. It's an Australian anime project, being that I am the creator and I hail from Australia. I currently live here, born and bred here. What I'm aiming for is not anime inspired. I want to go for Fingers crossed, I want to go legit anime. I want to work with the talented men and women of Japanese animation studios to actually get this thing done because the definition of anime has been gray for a long time now. Back in the early days, it was always just describing whatever came from, you know, whatever sort of cartoon or animation came from Japan. But for a long time now, Japanese animation studios have been collaborating with, you know, Indonesia, Manila, like all these other sort of outside studios. So there's been, there's already been cross collaboration from that end of it. So from the creator end, then they sort of outsource to other animation studios to help with like, you know, in between animation and stuff like that. So mm. what I'm shooting for is a little bit more unique in that the, the creator or the writer is coming from outside of Japan and I'm sort of going over and I'm trying to present to them. Had a bit of interest so far from outside of Japan. I'm not adverse against it, but if I if I had to have my you know my say over it, I'm really aiming for having this made as authentically as possible. So I really want to lean on the men and women who who know this shit inside and out. You know, they this is their bread and butter. You know, I don't want to make a, make it look like an anime and call it an anime. You know, I just happen to be the guy that thought of the story and designed the characters in the world, but I want this thing to be made authentically as possible. Absolutely, very cool. So this started off as an artwork that you drew for an assignment. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what, shit, 13 years ago now? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a character design assignment and I designed Vincent and he looked, at the time, he looked more like something that stepped out of an episode of Beyblades. Uh, he looked like a, like a, a kid's anime thing where the eyes mm. were hyper-exaggerated as they were still back then. You know, that that vision of Escaflaune kind of eye style where it was like really big. It was like two thirds of the face. Uh, and I had this, this aesthetic that I was going for at the time. And then I had this like super dark story for him. The only marks that I lost on that was that my art style didn't marry up with the story. Right, you know, right. and they were just like, look, this is gritty and I want to know more about this world. But dude, you... Well, I think the I think the the teacher uh, likened it to something that came out of Yu-Gi-Oh. Sure, and that's probably not an insult in any capacity, but it it was a very different kind of you know it didn't marry well. So yeah, sure. Vincent went under a couple of redesigns, and then eventually settled on a style. And uh, yeah, here, here we are, thirteen years later. Thirteen years, with, wow. Yeah, like over I think it's like fifty three, fifty four unique characters. All their backstories fully written, their their personalities all developed, a whole world created, countries, continents, cultures, animals and landscapes, all that sort of fun stuff. And uh, yeah, I've just been putting away at it. It's very impressive because you can people out there, you can check out the website. What is the website? Is it millenniumexile.com? Is that yep. what it is? Yep, that's the one, yep. yeah. 
That's one. It's incredibly in depth. You've you've done a very extensive world build, and I can imagine the world builds. There's far more of it than you're probably putting on on that website. I assume. One hundred percent. Yeah. At this point, I mean, you've got to be super careful with what you give out for free. Uh, yes. and what you just promote yourself. So it's kind of this weird balancing act that took me a long time to figure out where you've got to give enough to sort of like keep people interested and to make people interested, to make people believe in you and the project, but then sort of hold back enough that should the unthinkable happen and something got ripped off, mm. it doesn't take away. Anything that's on that website right now, if someone were to rip me off entirely, that is not the secret source. Mm. There is nothing there that is overly unique that I would say is Millennium Exile. I mean, like all those characters and the de their designs, to me, they're, they're my babies. So they're, they're mm. Millennium Exile to me. But if you really sort of take away the nostalgia and the, and the emotional side of things and break it down, the really unique things that are about my story, it's all like up in here. It's, it's documented offline. Uh, mm. So yeah, so there's a lot offline. I, I was originally shooting for an anime first. And mm. so I, uh, I've, I've written for 72 episodes if this was an anime. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But uh, okay. obviously that's that's changed because it's still 72 episodes. The content's still there. There's still a lot to cover. But uh, I, I've started releasing it as, as a series of light novels. Um, yes, I yeah. saw that. Yeah. yeah How's so that going? Really, really good, actually. Really good. Right. Um, I've only just released volume one. It's... It's only just been a very recent revelation that's happened. So I started writing book one in October of last year and we released it uh, a little bit over a month ago. So wow. reviews are looking really good. I'm getting a lot of positive feedback. I'm doing some like some conventions and stuff like that. So yeah, it's been really, really fun. And I'm already, as of last night, I'm up to chapter six of book two. Uh, right. So we're smashing through it. But again, like I've spent 13 years on this stuff. I'm not hitting writer's blocks as most writers probably would if they mm -hmm. were to making that stuff up book to book. Like if they were coming up with yes. that content book to book, it'd be far more difficult. I've got 13 years behind me in the rearview mirror mm. where I know all this <laughs> inside and out. You could ask me questions in my sleep and I'd still mm -hmm. give you a more detailed answer than half the people awake that are having to like make this stuff up on the spot. So I've got everything mm. pretty well organized. So now it's just sort of making sure the writing's good and making sure, because obviously it's a huge difference between the mediums. Like if you're writing for animation and storyboarding and stuff like that, it's very different when you're writing a book. You've got to go into a lot more detail and yes, really yes. paint that picture for the audience because you can't show, don't, like there's the rule, show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. But you can't really do that in the book. You have to really kind no. of paint, paint with a broad brush, but at the same time hold enough back to leave for the imagination. And that's mm. a whole different ball game when writing a book, especially if you're a first-time author like myself. So just trying to do it the best sort of justice that I can and not disappoint the fans because I've got the best fans in the world. Fantastic. So what are some of the influences behind this? I could probably I could probably throw a couple out that I might be picking up, but I'd love to hear some of your influences behind this project. And then we'll get into, of course, we are called Gateway to Anime. So we will, of course, ask what your Gateway Animes were. It's, it is tradition. But uh, before we get to that, tell us what inspired this project, what are some of your major influences? So first and foremost, this story would never have gotten off the ground if not for Tengen Toppa Gurren Lagann. My absolute favorite anime of all time. It is, one, it is, if not the biggest inspiration, my story is nothing like Gurren Lagann in any way, <laughs> shape or form. Uh, so it's not like I went off and just wrote something similar to it. Completely different genre. 
Uh, no drills. No drills. No, no drills. Uh, <laughs> but it's it was very much a case of that show inspired me so incredibly, and it it mm. moved me so much. Like I I didn't take that show seriously at all when I first watched like the first few episodes. Yeah, the internet was like losing its shit over this title, and I was like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And I kept watching, and then I don't even I couldn't even tell you where it happened, but somewhere along the line, I just became this believer in this show. And I became obsessed with it where it was like the thing I was looking forward to every week. I'm like, oh, Grun Ligan's mm. out. And I was just so immediately, like, it was just, it was, it's such an amazing story. And even the way that that's told, if you sit back and think to yourself, someone had to sell this to a studio. On the face of it, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that pitch meeting <laughs> because they just go, yeah, look, we're going to start with people underground living like cavemen and then we're going to end with universe-sized robots throwing galaxies like frisbees. Like, yep. who, who, yep. Are, who, are you, who are you getting on board with that pitch? Like, I mean, how how magical are you as a creator? Like, what have you sold before this? Like, and and you look at the creator's works and, like, it, it, it's an impressive background, but at the same time, mm. like, this was a crazy story that shouldn't have worked on paper. And it, oh, yeah. if you watch that series from start to end, it absolutely does. So... Mm. And it pitches that, that 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 to you. It tells you, you know, do the impossible and see the invisible, you know, and, you know, kick logic to the curb and all that. Like, you know, you do you. you got to be passionate about what you're doing and don't give up and and all that sort of stuff. So that would be my biggest influence by far because sure. that was what gave me the, the confidence to at least try and achieve this dream. Mm. Outside of that, Tolkien, the world, the world building of Tolkien, um, yep. not all my influences are anime. I've always loved the world building of Tolkien where, you know, these characters will move through either a shot or a particular scene in the book or, or movie, whichever you're watching at the time, but it, it reads the same in the sense that a character will move through a particular area and you feel like that world's been lived in before those characters were there. And that's what I think really good storytelling is, is that the world itself is the the biggest and most important character in the entire series because all of your other characters have to live and move through it. And that is such a fictional world and it just feels like it's got such history and lore there that you can't help but think that that this is real, you know? Like it, mm. it really does take you away and, and transport you into that world. So that was huge to me. And... um yeah, then I've just got various others, you know, Evangelion and all that sort of stuff, and uh, absolutely Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and you know, Full Metal Alchemist the original. That's that's your bread and butter right there, right? You, oh yeah, it's the good stuff. Oh man, deep cuts, but it's it's the good stuff. It's you, you, oh, yeah, man. yeah. That's the type of that's more akin to the type of story that I'm telling. Would be more similar right. to that kind of thing in terms of audience. What type of audience I'm aiming for. And it's mm-hmm. got that that mixture of humor and fantasy elements with like, you know, like you've got some gore in there. You've got some violence. You've got a bit oh, yeah. of blood, you know. Um, oh, it's yeah. not exactly berserk, but it's <laughs> at the same time, like it's not exactly like an innocent playground either. So it feels no, real. No, it's not and that's, Pokemon, no. No, exactly. So that's kind of what, that's that sweet spot that I was looking for with, uh, yeah. with Mil X. Did you watch Arcane at all when it came out? Oh, my God. Yes. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That is, I would have to say that is the, probably the defining standard for perfect animation. Extraordinary stuff. And they're, and they're making of series that's just been coming out recently, uh, mm-hmm. Bridging the Rift. I've never connected so much with a, a documentary about a creative works as much as I have with that because mm-hmm. it's very easy to see something like Arcane as a finished result on Netflix mm-hmm. from, you know, the creators of, from Riot Studios and Fortiche 
and you think to yourself, billion dollar company that's got this one of the most popular video games in, in history. Man, like what could have gone wrong? It's easy mm-hmm. to just see it through that rose-colored lens. And sure. then you watch that documentary and you just go, oh my God, like they hit all the same like roadblocks that I have. And they're mm-hmm. a bigger company that, like than me by uh, you know, so much. Uh, I'm a grain of sand on their beach, like, uh, you know, living in their world. Um, And I look at that and I go, wow, that's so inspiring that they still struggled with the similar kind of things. But at the same time, Mm. they pushed through and they got it done and it's inspiring. But, yeah, I love Arcane so much. Oh, it was was really quite extraordinary. And, of course, I mean, Castlevania as well. We actually uh, we interviewed Adi Shankar on this podcast a little while back. Really, really great, interesting guy. And yeah, I think it is really interesting about this sort of concept, which you mentioned before about how anime is changing, right? Because, you know, there is that old definition of, well, it needs to be Japanese and animated. And of course, we're seeing a world now where transnationalism and global globalism and, and, you know, diaspora of cultures and whatnot bleeding all across everywhere. And I think it's just a really interesting concept to be making something in Australia. It's not, you said, not anime inspired. I'm trying to make an anime. And I think that's really cool. It's a really interesting concept. And one which I think is becoming more normalized, you know? Yeah, definitely. It, it definitely wasn't when I started 13 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, imagine. Yeah. 13 years ago, I was very much like alienated for attempting this. Like my yep. friends who liked anime thought it was crazy. You know, even the, the, the people that didn't like anime thought that I was just absolutely stupid. But yeah, it's been, it's been really, really interesting to see, especially in maybe the last like five, seven years. Anime has really come to the forefront of, of mainstream. Like kids and oh, yeah. kids now are not just growing up with anime in the same way that, I mean, I'm 38. So when I was growing up, I was watching the likes of Transor Z or Mazinga Z and Astro mm-hmm. Boy and Robotech slash Macross. But the thing was, is I didn't know that was anime, mm. right? Mm. Like I was just like cartoons. Like to me, it was the same as anything else that I was watching because I was so young. I was, I, I didn't, you know, I was misinformed. I didn't have any, yeah, yeah, yeah. any references and the internet wasn't really there. But now kids are not just growing up with anime. They're growing up with a lot more anime, a lot more of a mm-hmm. diverse sort of culture of anime, but they actually know what's anime. Like yes. they know what anime is already. Whereas like when I was in high school, I was probably one of five kids that knew what anime was. I nowadays, yep. I mean, I teach anime at schools because of Millennium Exile. And nowadays, whenever I talk to the, the students, I always ask, like, who, who knows what anime is? Every single hand goes up. Every student in every class knows what anime is. And then I'll say, who likes anime? And like a handful of hands will go down, but still a big volume of them stay up. And you look at mm-hmm. that and you go, man, from where in the time that I've been around, like I'm still, <laughs> I'm still sort of fairly young. Like I'm not an old man, but like, I'm just like, man, in, in my lifetime, I've seen anime just become this staple of, oh, yeah. of, of, of culture. Like even here in the West, like we're growing up with it and, and yeah. yeah, and it's crazy because when I was in university, I got into an argument with one of my professors in the auditorium because he was our 2D uh, professor and he mm-hmm. stood there in front of the class back in like 2008 and he was like, 2D animation is dead and it, oh, is, wow. and, and it will die further. It will, it will go away. And I, my hand was shot straight up because I was like, so can you like, you know, elaborate a little bit? <laughs> and like, it was a big auditorium. People, you know, heads turned, but I was never one to sort of shy away from a little bit of confrontation. I wanted answers. <laughs> I wanted to know what he meant by that. And he said, yeah, you know, justify he, the statement. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, this is the age where like Shrek and everything like that had come out, Toy Story. So mm-hmm, like the world mm-hmm. was all 3D mad. And he made this bold statement. He's like, no one's doing 3D, uh, no one's doing 2D anymore. 
2D is, is if, if it is not dead yet, it will be dead in the next few years. And like he and I argued, like it was, it was a scene. It was a scene. <laughs> and I was like, you are stupid. There is going to be, it, it might be dying in the West, but it is going mm-hmm. strong in the East. And you watch that will, that will inspire everyone else. You watch when we all give that shit up, they will keep on polishing and honing their craft and they'll make it look so good that we'll eventually come around. And that's exactly what happened. Like yeah, we still absolutely. do a lot of 3D and that's great. But we're now mm. seeing things like, you know, Voltron and all that sort of stuff being made by DreamWorks and, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and this is, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So like, it's, it's crazy to see. And I'm glad <laughs> this is going to sound egotistical and it's not meant to be, but I'm glad I was right about that. I'm absolutely, yeah, absolutely. glad so am I. <laughs> that I was right about that because I loved anime and still love anime so much that, Absolutely. It's great that, that those amazing men and women of the industry have just like just stuck to their guns and, and they've worked so tirelessly and produced something that is so inspiring that it, it pretty much demands respect. Oh, absolutely. No question. And it must be interesting seeing projects like Ruby Ice Queen that Ruby uh, that Rooster Teeth did. Uh, obviously, they made what what you would call anime-inspired work back in oh, almost 10 years, oh, probably over 10 years ago now that came yeah. out. And now... It is now being made by a Japanese studio as part of the summer season. It's like we're seeing this flow of culture back and forth everywhere. Yeah. And it's that blew my mind when I, you know, I'd seen Ruby and whatnot. I was like, this is really cool. But yeah, very much inspired. And now to see it made by a fully Japanese team in Japan. I mean, you know, that's exactly what I guess you're not. I mean, you're doing it differently because you're, you're going with a project to take to them first as opposed to making it an inspired project and then letting them take it back. Like yeah. it's quite interesting and it's, it's happening. It's, it, it is 100%, happening. 100%. It's good because we're really starting to collaborate more and cultural barriers are breaking down mm. and that's so important. It's not just Absolutely, important yeah. for the animation industry. It's important for almost all facts of, of, of this world. Like, you know, like the, we're, we're all humans at the end of the day, right? Oh, like yeah. we all bleed the same blood, so like it doesn't matter what country you ha- you hail from, what color your skin is, what nationality you are, what it, what language you speak. At the end of the day, man, like a good story can come from anywhere. Absolutely, and and there's no reason why we shouldn't be collaborating more. Um, and mm-hmm. I think you know, like people that, that there are a lot of people that that will you know you, you hop on things like Reddit and everything like that. And you see a lot of people <laughs> just being like, and I've I've had it a bit before myself. You get people going, mm-hmm. he's white. It's not going to be anime. And it's like, no, yeah, boo, get out of here, you fucking weeb. Like that, I get I've had that, and that's fine. Yep. Like, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. try and I'm not gonna try and like change how they feel about that. You know, that's absolutely cool for them to think. But at the same time, like, just because it's a hundred percent anime doesn't make it a hundred percent good. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, that that that's a bad thing or a good thing. I'm just saying, like, where you come from doesn't make a series good or bad. It's the product, absolutely. it's the product yes. itself that matters. And the Absolutely. product itself shouldn't really matter where you come from. Th- things like Lord of the Rings and things like Harry Potter, mm-hmm. huge franchises, much bigger than, than than my little story, and and rightfully so. But there are people out in the world that that dislike those stories. There's not one oh, yeah. thing for everyone, right? You know, different <laughs> exactly different right. strokes for different folks. So you know, people that get on that bandwagon just start shouting, you know, you're you're a fucking weeb, go away. It's like. Look, I think, you know, th- these people need to sort of, sort of get with the times a little bit because the world's changing whether they like it or not, no matter how mm-hmm. hard they bang on their keyboards. Mm-hmm. The world's changing and the world's going to keep collaborating and I'm all for it. I agree. Did you play any JRPGs growing up or anything? Were you a gamer as well? 
Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I got the uh, old Final Fantasy necklace on, actually. I did think I saw that there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Final Fantasy is growing up. Uh, seven and eight were my introductions to them. Oh, uh, yes. Legend, oh, yes. Legend of the Dragoon. Oh, no uh, way. Yeah, yeah, deep cuts. Um, oh, mate, me too. I, I, I wasn't expecting that. That's awesome. <laughs> Great <laughs> yeah, uh, Underrated. Underrated. Yep. Oh, 100%. We need a remake. Please give us a remake. Yes. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Chrono Trigger. Yeah, so I, to answer your question, yes, definitely. <laughs> Yes, I can see some influence there too in in Millennium Exile too. I think it's interesting that we're about to do an episode on JRPGs because it's funny. Again, like you, I I found anime probably. I mean, Pokemon I, again. I didn't know that was anime. Didn't, that didn't register, but I guess like Naruto was or Naruto. Sorry, my my pronunciations been been excoriated. Um, was the thing that really brought me in as a teenager. You know, and I, I just saw this world building which I had wasn't used to, and but then of course realizing that I've been playing JRPGs since I was like seven. Yeah, and I just did again. Didn't really put those two things together until you realize that all of these things come together to influence in such an interesting way. And yeah, I think JRPGs, like I mean, Chrono Trigger, exactly. But Final Fantasy VII, the seminal shaping influences for me and, and my co-host Charlotte. You know, like absolutely formative experiences. And yeah, I can definitely see elements of that in Millennium Exile, which is really cool. You know, like it's, it's great. Yeah, I definitely. So the the actual model of the story is basically it's like a fantasy action shonen styled adventure, mm-hmm. but it's got JRPG elements. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you, and it's not just even JRPGs; it's got RPG elements now, where you create a character and you pick a class. Yep. So it's kind of like that, except the class is picked for you at birth. You know, if you've got this Meister gene, and if your parent, if your if if your mum was a Meister and she was a Lancer, then you've got the Lancer Meister genome in your, you know, in your system. And so you will be a Lancer Meister. So you don't get to pick what type of class you go into. Genetics picks you, uh, picks what mm-hmm. class for you, for you. But yeah, it was definitely an, an inspiration. So it's funny that you picked that up. That uh, it was definitely kind of like, uh, you know, just a couple of elements there of some, some, some uh, JRPG flavors. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, you mentioned before about some of your more formative experiences with anime. So what were your gateways? I think you might have mentioned them earlier, but Le, what was what was the first anime you remember watching and realizing it was anime? I suppose uh, there was there was a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evangelion was probably st- step one for me. Uh, that was yep. like ninety five. It was coming out on a on a on a channel called SBS, oh, which was the yeah. only channel that had anime, and you didn't even mm-hmm. know what it was yet. It was like Bubblegum Crisis and shit yep. like that, and I was like. I saw this anime and it was about like, it cut deep for me. It was like, it hit very close to home. It was about a 14 year old. It was kind of dealing with depression and had some Mm -hmm. family issues. And I was also 14 dealing with family issues. And I was, I had some depression as well. And so that hit me so hard because I had never seen a cartoon like that at the time. Absolutely. I was like, oh my God, this isn't a cat chasing a mouse for 30 fucking minutes. <laughs> this, this, this shit hit, hit somewhere real. And this, the, the, mm. you know, you, you felt that. And I was just like, I, I absolutely was moved by the whole, the way that story was told. It was so unique. Even by today's standards, Evangelion stands on its own platform out on the side. Oh, absolutely. In the that. same way that Cowboy Bebop made its own genre, Evangelion's mm-hmm gone out on the, you know, and they both just stand sort of alone. There's nothing really similar to them. And when I saw Evangelion, I, I was just, it, it hit me on so many different levels. Like I hadn't seen anything like it before. And then I had this emotional attachment to the mm-hmm. character. 
and him wanting to run away and me wanting to run away and him having to, you know, go back out there and, and expose himself to others only to be hurt again. And I felt like I was going through the same things as I was maturing and it hit somewhere raw and real. So that was the first thing that I saw where I was like, wow, that's, I, I had to go looking it up, you know? And I was like, oh, this is a thing called anime. Mm. And, and then then I sort of went down to my local video store and I started realizing that I was watching anime my whole life and I just didn't mm. know it. I was watching Astro Boy and Bazinga Z and, you know, Macross and Tekaman Blade and everything like that. Like, <laughs> I was watching all these things. And then I also, like, the Street Fighter animated movie, like the original. Yeah. Like, and, the, you know, that were there, like, you are kind of like, oh, man, what's this kind of thing? But, yeah, anime also kind of fucked me up as well. <laughs> Because uh, yeah, be doing that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I I remember going down to our local video store. Uh, this is I know I've already said how old I am, but this is showing my age a bit. Uh, there was VHS tapes, and yep. I remember being like this little, like, you know, a smaller child, and I remember picking up this VHS video of like this guy that had like a his his face was exposed like as a human face, but he was like pulling off this armor from his face. And I was like, man, this is awesome. And I like, <laughs> this is back when like, there was no such thing as like continuation of cartoons when you're a kid. Like everything was episodic. Like if Fred Flintstone lost his job at, in that episode, he got it back by the end of that episode. So <laughs> yes. you could pick up any DVD of Dino Riders and it didn't really matter, right? You'd just be mm-hmm. like, oh, it's fine. So the volume never mattered. And it wasn't volume one, but I was like, that's so sick. I went running over to my parents. I'm like, can I get this? And it's all, it was like PG. Right. <laughs> and then I put it in the video player and I, I hadn't seen even go. This predates even going for a while, mm-hmm. a lot, quite a bit. And I like fire that bad boy up and I'm like sitting on the carpet. And I first thing I see is this fucking armored dude from the cover fighting this giant monster that looked terrifying. And then he got like his arm chopped off and his brain ripped out in the most <laughs> grotesque way possible. That anime was Giver and it was <laughs> absolutely fucked and i was so terrified of cartoons after that like i was scarred i had nightmares i screamed i was crying i was like like i was freaking out absolutely freaking out and like it took me a while before i could look at a cartoon the same man i'm like got like ptsd from watching captain planet and shit i'm like Like, (laughs) so so it was really hard and then it took me years to sort of come back around and then once i learnt what anime was when i was a teenager when i was like 14 and, and i was just like Oh, like I saw that uh, the VHS, and I was like, "Man, how is that PG?" Yeah, someone like that, messed up. There. Oh man, someone <laughs> messed up bad. Like <laughs> it was so funny, and like now I own that shit. I've got figures of Guyver. Like I can appreciate yeah. it now, but I had to get past some trauma for that. That had that. <laughs> you know, that's that, that. Those are some notes in some therapist's book somewhere. But that was. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, Neon Genesis as well. I mean, Neon Genesis. I, I rewatched it what when it when it came back on Netflix. I think 2019, and like it had more of an effect on me as an adult than it did when I was watching it as a teenager because I different experiences, I guess. But I just I was just floored by it the second time around. You know, as an adult, it's one of the few bits of media that really sits with you and stays with you. Yeah, and I think. It's something interesting that anime does, you know, and I think it's something in the West. And again, we talked about this with Adi Shankar. It's this idea of trying to fix nomenclature around how we describe what animation is and can be. Because in the West, it's either comedy or for kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, not not always. It's starting to get a little bit more broad. But, and again, Arcane, perfect example, right? Of like, hey, we can make an adult, but not in a pornographic sense. We can make a, a show for adults yeah. and it, have it be animated. It doesn't matter. And no, Japan's 100%. been doing that since since forever. 
You oh know? yeah, hundred percent. And the thing that I, that 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 really hits home with that is the creator um, Hideaki Anno. He he said he's he said on in interviews that he's not giving you the answers. Yes. Because life doesn't give you answers. You have to mm-hmm. figure out your own answers in life, and so he doesn't want his work to be any different. So even in the original run, like if you're watching the English version, there's a reference to the Room of Guff, mm-hmm. where uh, Ritsugo says the Room of Guff is empty, and you're a kid. There's never been a mention of the Room of Guff for the entire <laughs> run of this series, yep. and you're just sitting there going, the fuck is the Room of Guff? It may, Show me it. Yeah. And it does explain it to you. It actually nope. makes you learn philosophy and actually study shit to understand that show, which mm-hmm. as an adult, I can appreciate so much. And then you realize that you go, oh, wow, that scene's referring to this. And then, yeah, it makes you study to understand it. It's kind of like there's homework involved in this show. And I can understand how that would break, like be a, a deal breaker for a lot of audiences where they're not yep. wanting to have homework. You know, yes. especially if you're an adult, like if you're an adult and you've already got like adult shit to do and you've yep. got responsibilities, you got like kids running around and chaos mm-hmm. in your life already, you probably don't need the added chaos of like researching what an anime is going to do. But like at the same time, man, there's that group of people that it was absolutely, it hits that sweet spot for. And I, I for me personally, I, I respect it all the more that it doesn't tie up a... Like, you know, even with the most recent movies, there's still a level of research you have to do to make sense of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a lot it, of ambiguity, yeah. Yeah, the, it didn't always tie everything up in this neat little bow 100% of the time. It left you to draw your own conclusions, figure out your own ending, and I, I, I love that. Do, do I want Absolutely. that all my anime? Absolutely not. No. If Evangelion, <laughs> Evangelion, hell yeah. They get hell a pass. Yes. He, he, he did well. That, that shit was, that, that's my jam. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's, it's it's a very exciting time to be, I suppose, working in the animation industry because we've seen with Arcane, Castlevania, we're seeing more adult-oriented animation coming into the West now. And, you know, coming, and Japan has never been more open with its cultural products. And, of course, we're seeing a lot of South Korea as well, of course, with all the manhwa being, being made into animes and whatnot. Yeah. And um, I'm sure there's going to be much, much more of that. Of course, God of High School... Uh, Tower of God, obviously, solo leveling is about to get an anim- adaptation. Which yep. <laughs> season two of season two of Tower of God got announced. Yes, it did. So, it's all happening. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's an exciting time for the animation industry. It's mm. never been so diverse and so popular for that diversity, mm. and that's what's cool is that it's no longer niche. Yes, you know, it's exactly. no longer niche. Like you know, you, my dad still doesn't really know what anime is or can appreciate it. Because he mm. comes from a different generation, where if I barely knew what anime was in the in, in the late you know in the late eighties and the nineties, how's he going to know what anime is? You know, for, as a <laughs> as an old school hardened Aussie man in the fucking sixties and seventies, like he's <laughs> yeah. never going to know that. But uh, you know, nowadays, like I meet some of these kids' parents when I teach where I teach the anime school uh, at schools. Mm. And sometimes I meet the, the the parents, and the parents have their own favorite animes. Mm. You know, like they're watching wow. anime now and you just go, man, like, what a world. That's interesting. <laughs> like, what yeah. a world. It's so good. It's cool. Uh, you know, and there's, there's some some families are watching anime with their kids. Like, you know, they'll sit down and they watch Attack on Titan together. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> and you got you got places like Netflix and, and Crunchyroll streaming platforms that just put it into everyone's home. You don't need to mm-hmm. own a VCR or a DVD player or a Blu-ray or the Blu-ray itself. Mm-hmm. It is just streamed straight to everyone's screen no matter where that is in the world and that is that is a magical thing i think you know absolutely 
And what are you watching right now? You got any shows that you're watching at the moment? Anything that's like tickling your fancy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Made in Abyss season two. That's a stable. Yep. Uh, that's a that's a non-negotiable right there. Um, <laughs> it is destroying my it is destroying my heart with every episode. It is destroying me that, mentally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's Made in Abyss. That's part of its appeal. That's it. Is it wrong to pick up a uh, uh, girls? In, <laughs> is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon season four? I fell off on seasons two and three. I wasn't really all about that. Season mm-hmm. four has come in strong, though. It's- <laughs> I am all about season four. Oh, my God. Uh, I kind of just was like, oh, I've got a bit of free time. Let's see what this is going on. And it just hit It hit the ground running. I'm like, I'm pretty happy with season four. And then summertime rendering. Yeah. God I'm, damn. I'm flying that under is the radar. a gem. Oh, I'm man. Flying under the radar. It Absolutely. is the number one show that no one's talking about that everyone 100%. should know. I have not seen an underappreciated title like this. Since Parasite the Maxim. It's absolutely 100%, which is on Netflix. People can watch that whenever they want. Oh. Par- yeah. I, I believe that anime lost money from what I read about that. Which yeah. has, it, that blows my mind because it is such a good story. The production oh, yeah. quality is fantastic. Oh, There's literally, I, 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 I think the only thing wrong with that show is that it ended. I agree. <laughs> like I love <laughs> Parasite. It was so good. Um, we just did a horror episode just recently, and that was the show that I talked about. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of Parasite: The Maxim, and I'm oh, not really a horror guy. But, no, um, same, same. But um, absolutely loved it. Absolutely love it. So I guess what's I mean, I suppose there's only so much you can talk about, and that's all good. But what is next for Millennium Exile? What's next on the cards that you can speak about publicly? I can speak about quite a lot, actually. It's fine. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously, book two. I'm probably if I was to sort of guesstimate where I'm going to end up. I'll probably end up somewhere between maybe 10 to 12 books by the time everything's done. Wow. Um, it's got, they're, they're white novels, so they're not going to be, you know, these big sort of, you know, omnibus-style thick things that you can barely open. You know, it's definitely not going to be Oxford Dictionary thick. Um, <laughs> it, it's your stereotypical white novel. However, volume one kind of came out a little bit thinner than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. First time writer here, so by the time we finished editing, I came out, I, I ended up editing a lot out. And mm. I was like, man, I'm going to, I'll restructure this later. So it came out a little thinner than expected. But yeah, book one came out. Looking at finishing that off, no matter what happens, if we get picked up and we we make this as an anime, I owe it to the fans and to myself to see this through. I'm not somebody, you know, if I've been doing this for 13 years, I'm clearly somebody who sees things through. So I'm going to keep doing that. I've got to, I'm working with several talented artists from around the world. Big shout out of love to Elmire and Harry, who are my two main guys that have absolutely worked tirelessly through so much with me over the years. Building the fan base, building the audience. I'm now sort of doing podcast appearances and stuff like that. Talking about the project, which is really good. I'm making a few appearances at some conventions uh, at least here in Australia. But yeah, so that's that's what's on the cards at the moment. I'm sort of balancing all that with like a full-time job, like a nine-to-five full-time job in IT, uh, as well as teaching anime schools around around the uh, around the country. So that's really cool. So that's pretty much what's on the books for now. And it's just basically just brand growth. Just get it out for there, sure. get it into more people's hands, get people on board, because that's all that I really want. I don't give a damn about money. What I care about is having people experience my story the way that other anime creators inspired me with theirs. You know, if I can inspire one person with Millennium Exile, then I'm pretty happy with that. So yeah, I'm that's, that's what matters the most to me is just get it out there, tell my story and hopefully some ears hear it. Fantastic. Awesome eyes read it. However you're devouring the content. But um, <laughs> yeah, ultimately at the same time, still sort of going hard with trying to pitch it. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm still very, very adamant that my end goal is to get an anime out of this. 
because mm-hmm. I'm a fan of anime first and foremost. Yep. My passion for manga came in afterwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, like, you know, like behind me here, I've just got cabinets full of manga and anime. So I definitely <laughs> support the, uh, I definitely support the cause. So I, I love my manga as well. And I love white novels, but, uh, and anime is kind of my dream. I didn't have that mm. choice. That was kind of just in me from the minute <laughs> I was a kid watching Astro Boy, I wanted to draw and tell my own stories. I just didn't know what I was watching was anime. And mm. when it, when I found out that all the most inspiring things that I've ever seen in my life was all anime. I was like, oh, this is where I need to, this is where I need to go. And um, and, and fortunately enough, though, we're, we're cross-collaborating a lot more as a society now, just around the same mm. time that I'm ready to, to hit the ground running with Mill X. So fingers crossed something happens. Well, that's really exciting, mate. It's really exciting. It's it's so great to see someone putting forward a project like this. You know, it's um, it's so great to see. And thank you so much for talking to us. Really appreciate it. And how can people find you? What can they, what can they, what social media platforms, what can they look up to have a look at this project? Uh, well, as we mentioned before, the website is millenniumexile.com. Uh, I've got all the links to all the various socials there, but I'm on Twitter, Instagram. I've got a YouTube platform, but that's only for really when I just upload things that will eventually go to the website. So subscribe if you want, but it's not like there's regular content happening there. Um, I've got a Patreon where I've got some amazing fans that have been supporting the project since like 2016. So that's been really cool. If you want to jump on there, you can find me there, but um, absolutely no obligations. But uh, And uh, Facebook. Marvelous. Well, Ty, thank you so much for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. I wish you all the best and I look forward to following along as this project moves from strength to strength, as I have no doubt that it will. Fingers crossed. Thank you very much <laughs> for having me. It's been awesome talking to you. Mate, no worries. Thank you. Thank you.